Doran Chaltiel challenges how a design business can be structured. Quasi Designs, an all-women company, is as much a community as a production house. So caring for others is as valued as the efficiency of output. They've introduced what are conventionally seen as home values into the workplace. And the result? A richly supportive life at work. Through innovative techniques developed over years, Quasi Design is stretching the convention of Swazi handcraft work. The core activity of the social enterprise is upcycling paper magazines into unique design pieces. What I really like about Doron is the way she has recreated this rich social and artistic life she was brought up with into a successful and innovative business empowering women. I'm Keith Struthers, and this is Natural School. So welcome, Doron. I'd like to start by just asking you to trace the beginnings of your passion for working in community and working in design. Given that you grew up in a Campbell village, which is essentially a rural farm community, caring for the mentally handicapped, and it's one of many dotted around the world. Living in Camp Hill was a great foundation for um, getting along with all sorts of different people from, you know, really various backgrounds and obviously kids with difficulties in terms of disabilities, physical disabilities, mental difficulties, which as a child you never really question. You know, they're just people to you, really, aren't they? I mean, I do remember being at school some people coming back to visit me in my house and we actually shared a house with these people with the disabilities, disabled people. I remember my friends being totally shocked, you know, because when they would eat they would dribble or they couldn't walk properly or, you know, things like this, which we never really questioned. They were just, for us they were just, you know, people. So Camp Hill, basically what was the, the best thing for me about Camp Hill was there was lots of other children. We called ourselves staff children because we were the children of people who worked there. So you would spend the majority of your day outside playing in the fields, on the farm, on the beach. Uh, there was horses. You know, you were never inside watching television, basically. You were like this gang of children meandering around the, yeah. the estate. Yeah, exactly. And with your Waldorf education, how did that influence your artistic sensibilities? I remember being really into making my books look beautiful even if it was just like a text you know I kind of had to make sure that I would write you know and all the words would kind of link together or I had to make sure that the colors were always you know went together on the page and I would like spend hours shading just my like the <laughs> you know so for me I think from, I remember from a very early age that aesthetics was very important and then I think also I had you know till today I had the most amazing art teacher actually. And I can remember them both. I went to two different Steiner schools and they were a very big influence in my life. In what way did they influence you? They listened to me, I think, as a person. They really treated you as an individual and they cared. You could tell they really cared about you and about your progress and your development and what you wanted to do and what you were interested in. And, and his respect for art, it kind of enveloped us as well. The way he the way he talked about it and he did you know he took us to Italy on trips and he would have these books and when he would bring them out he would be you know the way he would even treat the book 
was obviously kind of meant that this kind of means a big deal to him. And I think we did kind of catch a little bit of that. And you left the Steiner School and went and studied theatre design. Could oh. just unpack that a bit, because I remember staying with a theatre design person for a while, and they made everything out of anything. A bucket became the seat of a throne that was montaged over, and how was that for you? The reason why I chose theatre design was actually because it is, for me, it is an amazing combination of different arts and different skills that are all kind, all creative in their own way. You know, for me, it kind of, it brings, and it even brings together a bit of history, a bit of literature, you know, together with the actual costume design of the time. And it brings together a bit of architecture. It brings, you know, all these different things together in one project, which for me was exciting because I kind of didn't want to just concentrate on one thing. I loved the idea of all these things coming together to create one whole. It can be quite a practical process because you have to make things. I mean, you get to design it, but you actually have to make the actual set to show someone. And then at some point in your biography, you went to Swaziland. Maybe you can talk a little bit about how you arrived in Swaziland. What were your first impressions? How did you feel about that? I kind of feel it was all meant to be. In hindsight, obviously, you know, it's easier to say. But um, I was in Kenya for the year before for a few months when, when there was the turbulent um, elections and I actually had to leave. Online I found Gone Rural, which are a company in Swaziland looking for an intern designer. And when I arrived, I remember Phil, Phil picked me up from the airport who, was my, who, who I worked with at Gone Rural. And I remember driving through Manzini, which is um, kind of like the bustling town, and having a very different experience of Africa than I had in Kenya. Kenya was quite a difficult experience in terms of it was where I was wasn't very safe. And there was something about entering Swaziland that kind of put me at ease. I think there was some peace in it. So you arrive and now there's this iconic story of having this pile of paper that needs recycling, which was really the genesis of the quasi-designs that you've been involved in now. Could you unfold what happened there? <laughs> You know what, again, it's an interesting story because actually I would never have, you know, I would never have chosen Swaziland necessarily, but it happened, it was, the, and it was perfect. I would never have chosen paper, but it kind of, you know, it's kind of, I guess I think it's about listening to what comes into your life and about that string that you follow. I met Anthony, who's the magazine distribution owner, and he has a ton of waste paper. And he just asked, told me his ideas, look, I really want to try something with all this paper. And I just thought, oh, that's a lovely idea. You know, I'll just help you out. I'll do one or two different designs. Great. So I would just come and visit. And um, he had this lady rolling beads. So I would just say to her simple things, like maybe you could, you know, put a few beads together. Very, very simple. But I didn't really look at paper then as I do now. For me, it was still kind of just a magazine page that you would manipulate. So maybe you would roll or you would cut and you would fold. So you sat with her and you asked her to try different things. Did you sit there and open a magazine and chop it up into bits and also try? I did. I did. But, um, but also I was very kind of limited in the way I saw paper. I left it as a magazine page. And what we do now is we try and break that down so that actually it doesn't even look like paper anymore. Maybe you could just kind of give a little bit of the biography of the evolution of the design process. 
the magazine page would dictate the colour. So we would make sure we chose two exactly identical magazine pages, one for each earring. And then we would, you know, either roll it or fold it together. And then we would close it off with a varnish. And that was our basic earrings. And then slowly, as Kwasi kind of grew and as our collections grew and as I think it was a lot to do with also feedback from different people and what sold and what didn't sell. It was a very organic, slow process. And the process of evolving your technology with the design, how did that happen? You know what? It was a lot of play. We would just experiment, take paper, just try anything. I mean, I have tried so many numerous different things, and I would say only half of them, maybe even less, actually come into production. You're spending the majority of your time making samples and just testing, you know, and adding different materials to it. And, you know, if I do this, what happens? If I use this kind of glue, what happens? Or I'm very hands-on, so I'm very creative, and I prefer to actually test it with my hands than to have drawn up a whole concept. It's easier for me just to actually make it. The essence of Doron's process is playing, which is also at the heart of innovation. The very nature of playing is not taking ourselves too seriously, which then allows us to break our own rules, our own assumptions about how things should be. And do you think there's something very particular about working with your hands? Oh, definitely, definitely. And I think, you know, sometimes you can walk into a workshop and the atmosphere is, you know, people like to sit, people like to come in and just sit and watch and just be there. And I think that's because you'll see, you know, there'll be like 15, 20 women all sitting there working with their hands. And some of them are talking. And I think it can be a very therapeutic process. And I think it also gives them something in terms of you're coming in and you're 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 doing something that's practical but almost frees your mind whilst your hands are busy which is quite interesting and so the atmosphere in the in the studio or you call it the workshop is very social and tell me Doron your company as such or the group of you are all women and part of what you say on your website is this aspect of empowering women and I think it's such a critical thing in our times because there's so many women that are trying to emulate men in the business world when in fact there could be another side that could be brought. And I just wondered, what was your experience of the first moment when you felt that these women that you were working with were being empowered? I think it's seeing the relationship between the women themselves. Um, for me, it's very humbling because they didn't know each other before they came to work. And I see now how they really help each other in moments of crisis. And we've had all sorts of different crises, you know, from people having to be rushed to hospital, to people being very sick, to, you know, children that were premature. And I can see, for me, the love and care they have for each other. Um, and I think just simply by creating a space, which is what I'd call the workshop, 
we have enabled that to happen. And I think, I've, you know, I think a lot of people would say that the, the most important thing is maybe to have economic freedom in terms of, as a woman, you don't have to rely on someone else. You can make decisions because you have the money to make decisions. And I think that's very important because a lot of the time these women are left with many children. It could be a few children, many children, on their own. And then you really don't have the independence. You're, you, someone's taken that away from you because you have to do certain things in order to survive. But if you can have enough money to pay for school fees and make sure your kids are safe and happy, then I think as a mother, that means, and, I, and all of them are mothers, I don't think any of our ladies don't have children. I, I'm assuming as a mother that that's you know, the most important thing and that's what makes them happy. And then on top of that, they also have a friendship so they don't feel alone, so they can share, and we can all share, we all do. So there's a social fabric that gets knitted in the communal workplace, as well as an economic independence. And do you find that the, the inner fiber of these individuals changes through that quite fundamentally? I can see a definite change, and I think a lot of it is to do with confidence, actually, because I think a lot of young Swazi women aren't really told that, look, you're allowed to say no. You're allowed to make a decision that might impact you in a way that people might not want that to happen. Or, you know, you're allowed to even have a career. Or you're, I, I think it's just that kind of being, feeling like they're being allowed to do something that they want to do because no one actually ever asks them, what do you want to do? And, you know, I was brought up, you know, I went to a Steiner school where the emphasis is really on the individual, isn't it? And people ask you, what do you want to do? How are you? How do you feel about this? And I feel like with the Swazi ladies, no one ever sat them down and listened to them and said, so who are you? And what interests you? And what would you like to do? Considering how we mature and change during our own lives, and how the world around us is also changing, this question of who we are and what we want is a perennial question that we can ask ourselves many, many times throughout our lives. The feeling that I get is that there are many Swazi women there that are disempowered and silent and somewhere through this process you're giving them a voice that they're finding their voice yeah I mean I've got a very it's you know they're very it's a small minority of Swazi women we're only 20 women I don't really know you know about the other Swazi ladies but from the women that I have met definitely I feel like they they are not heard and I don't know if that's you know connected to this Swazi society as a whole or if it's these individuals, or life is just tough. So why concentrate on the smaller things when actually all you're wanting to do is survive and put some food on the table? And now you've got a large group of women, and my question would be, where's the masculine quality expressed itself in your constellation as such? Quite an interesting question, because we always laugh at ourselves at the workshop. We're like, you know, if a machine breaks down, we're always like, oh, where's the men? You know, why do we just have women? And then actually, I think, then, you know, we're left to fix the machines. 
and we're allowed to do the things that men would normally do or you know so we think men should normally do and I think that also ties in with the idea of giving a woman confidence that she might necessarily have to lean on a man but actually she's pretty capable of doing a lot of the things herself we do have some men that we work with sometimes but in terms of the masculine quality, I think we need to also be careful that we're not too pro-woman, you know, and that we, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not being about anti-men. I think it's also about this word feminism, which is quite a difficult word, isn't it? Because it can be used in so many different ways and it can mean that, you know, all men are bad. But actually, that's not what we're trying to say by empowering women. We're just trying to bring back balance. And your designs, they partially indigenous and partially contemporary. There's this hybrid in a way. And you coming from a, a Eurocentric place, having been brought up there, you migrate to Southern Africa, to Swaziland, and then you working with an indigenous people. It's quite an interesting process that in terms of where do you source your inspiration for your designs from? And how do international trends or design trends influence what you're doing and how do the people making it respond to that? Yeah, people love to ask me a lot, where, where do I get inspired from? And, I, and I, it's a very difficult question because it's a hybrid, it's a mishmash. I, you know, Quasi has its, in a way it has its own style which we've created and its own kind of story and it's, you know, it's taking little bits and pieces from different places but actually I, would, I wanted to have its own identity, and that identity has come from a little bit of Europe, a little bit of Africa, you know, a little bit of the material. The positive side of being in Swaziland is that you're not necessarily in touch with the trends, and I, and I think that can actually be quite a strength, because I feel like a lot of the time, if you're in a big city, this is for me personally, is that you can start to compare yourself too much and see what everyone else is doing. And in Swaziland, you know, it's a creative incubator where you just left your own devices and you can see what you come up with. And I'm sure I'm influenced by what I see in magazines. Influenced, influenced when by I go what you see in magazines that you're tearing <laughs> up. Yeah, definitely. I mean, before we make it into something, we like to read the articles. <laughs> you know, paper is not, it's not a traditional handcraft. It's not that comes from Switzerland. It's, it's very new. So the artisans themselves are always a bit amazed. You know, they're always kind of, really, is that paper? You're making this from paper? You know, they're very surprised. And then as soon as they make it and they get into it and they see people appreciate it, they also have, they also appreciate it. And then they've become very proud of their work. But because it's not a traditional technique that we're reviving, we're also having, you know, we have to make it all up from scratch. And you've got a range of lights that look like inverted bowls that appear to my eye to be closer to um, paper mache or something of that. Could you maybe just describe that a little bit? Yeah, so they've actually broken down newspaper rather than magazines. And recently we started working with newspaper. The design process evolved into something a bit more sculptural as we realized paper could become like clay. So we had done all these different designs which was like recreating wood by layering it or folding and cutting. But I kind of wanted to take it in this new direction, which was much more tactile, much more about the texture and less about the color. So this is, we break down newspaper, we dye it with some pigments, and then we use different molds to make our shapes. 
And do you see that as, a, as an expanding trend in Quasi? Definitely, as well as the layering of the magazines. You know, both of them are two separate collections that could both be developed. We, in terms of um, the feedback of our customers, the lights have been doing very well, and so have the bulbs. And people have asked us for new shapes. So that is something we would like to develop. If we could do furniture, that would be the most exciting thing ever. But I just haven't figured out in my head how to make it strong enough. So if you look at your life, and you spoke earlier on of this thread that weaves its way through, I find it interesting that you were brought up in a school which supports self-empowerment, that supports artistic expression. And then you were living in a community situation where the love of your fellow home friends was all around you. And in a sense, you've recreated all of that in your workplace. And your workplace, in a sense, has this therapeutic quality. Yeah, I've often thought about that, actually. And I think I was trying to recreate very much my experience because I, you know, I really treasure my experiences and how I was brought up and I feel very lucky to have had that. And I know for me that life has meaning when it's shared with other people and it really is all about the community. And I also know not just economically but also spiritually and on a personal level, if you do things together, you have much more impact. And I think that's very important, not just in Africa, that's just all over the world. In your own life, how has this process empowered you? I feel very grateful to have been given a chance, like Quasi Design, to express myself. And I think, personally, without creativity, I, I don't feel as alive. I don't feel like I'm meeting my potential. So for me to be creative is very important. And I simply feel empowered by having that space to be creative. You know, and I, we don't know what the possibilities are. And I, and I see now that you know, the possibilities of paper are endless. And I wouldn't necessarily have chosen paper, but actually it was an, amaz an amazing learning curve. And to realize actually what a great impact we can have. And, you know, in a few years you can create a thriving business that other people depend on. And would you say going to Swaziland has helped you find your own voice? A hundred percent, definitely. It's given me an identity as a designer and what style of designer I would like to be. Great. Thank you very much for your time and your insights. Thank you very much. Thank you. In reflecting on the overall conversation, quasi-design as an all-women concern value human interactions and quality of life as much as the items they produce. And the result? A living community where mutual support is central to working life. So my question is, how does your work environment cultivate a feminine approach in the face of economic pressures?
You can share this discussion or listen again at naturalscool.com. That's natural, S-C-O-O-L.com. Also, feel free to sign up for our bi-monthly email newsletter. Every two weeks, we send out inspired thoughts and reflections about design and architecture, as well as interviews with innovative designers from all around the world. You can sign up for our newsletter on our website, naturalschool.com. We are architects and facilitators who inspire innovative design professionals to find deeper meaning in their personal lives through their creative practice. This is a Natural School production. Thanks to our host, Keith, our producer, Shannon Flynn, and Daniel Apple for original music. Our major funding partner is Natural Architecture, specialists in sculptural and sustainable architecture. Go to naturalarchitecture.co.za to find out more. Music